Today's sermon comes from Proverbs 31, 10 through 31. An excellent wife who can find. She is far more precious than jewels. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of gain. She does him good and not harm all the days of her life. She seeks wool and flax and works with willing hands. She is like the ships of the merchant. She brings her food from afar. She rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household and portions for her maidens. She considers a field and buys it with the fruit of her hands. She plants a vineyard. She dresses herself with strength and makes her arms strong. She perceives that her merchandise is profitable. Her lamp does not go out at night. She puts her hands to the distaff and her hands hold the spindle. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. She is not afraid of snow for her household, for all her household are clothed in scarlet. She makes bed coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. She laughs at the time to come. She makes linen garments and sells them. She delivers sashes to the merchant. Strength and dignity are her clothing, and she laughs at the time to come. She opens her mouth with wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. She looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. Her children rise up and call her blessed, her husband also, and he praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. Charm is deceitful and beauty is vain, but a woman who fears the Lord is to be praised. Give her the fruit of her hands and let her works praise her in the gates. In Pixar's movie, The Incredibles, you've seen it. Uh, it's, it's, a, it's a great movie, uh, but the premise is that the, the superheroes in this movie have been forced into everyday life because there's been lawsuits that have launched against them. And so these superheroes have had to hang it up, so to speak. And, uh, and towards the end of the movie, when, when a villain unleashes this you know, indestructible robot on the city, there's a scene where uh, Frozone is one of the uh, superheroes uh, who can turn air into ice and snow. He's, he's washing his face in front of the mirror, and he sees, uh, and behind him in the apartment window, he sees this indestructible robot go by. And so he, he goes and he grabs his remote control to open up the compartment where his superhero suit is, and it's not there. And then this is the uh, conversation that ensues. Honey, he cries, looking down the hall. Where is my super suit? What? His wife answers, sounding somewhat guilty. Where is my super suit? Frozone repeats as a helicopter crashes down behind him. I uh, put it away, his wife calls back. Why do you need to know? I need it, Frozone answers, beginning to search frantically around the room. Uh, uh, his wife chides, don't you think about running off doing no daring do. We've been planning this dinner for two months. But the public is in danger. My evening is in danger, his wife responds. Unable to stand it any longer, Frozone bursts out. You tell me where my suit is, woman. We are talking about the greater good. Greater good, she replies. I am your wife. I'm the greatest good you ever gonna get. It's a hilarious scene in the movie, but it really does uh, highlight this, this conflict that can seem to exist between home and work, home and superhero work, home and ministry. 
Uh, and not only that, it highlights this idea that the real work, the real superhero work happens outside the home. And in the movie, you see these husbands that are hiding and trying to you know, get away to do that work. And so it presents this conflict. And it raises questions as we look at our own homes. And that is, what, what is the purpose of the home? What role does the home play in God's kingdom? How should we view our homes? Uh, how should we steward our homes? Proverbs 31 answers this question. So we're gonna look at the importance of the home, the foundation of the home, and then finally the mission of the home. Let's start with the importance of the home. So this proverb, it's very interesting. There's a, there's a number of words in the proverb that um, make this have a lot of military imagery. I'll give you a couple examples, specifically in verses 10 and 29, where verse 10 talks about the excellent wife, Verse 29 uh, uses the word excellently. Uh, the Hebrew word, same word, uh, can get translated uh, valiant. In fact, it's a word that is used oftentimes in military context. And then the, the synonym for this word is found in verses 17 and 25, and it gets translated strength. And there are more words in this, this chapter that give this, this military imagery to it. Now, you may scratch your head and say, why would a chapter talking about a wife and a husband and children, why would the author intentionally use imagery, military imagery for something that is, for words that are typically reserved for that, military exploits? Well, the reason is, is this chapter is countering erroneous views of women in that day. And there were a couple in the ancient Near East it was very common that women uh, were viewed as objects of, of physical and sexual charm. Uh, that's not much different today in certain circles. And that's why you see in verse 30, charm is deceitful and beauty is vain. Right? It's countering this view, that, that wrong view of women. In Greek culture of the day, uh, women were, were viewed as um, silent, homebody spouses that really didn't have much to offer the world. And sadly to say, in circles today, that is also a reality. And so Proverbs 31 comes in with all this military imagery to say, no, right? there, is, there is the heroism of the battlefield, right? which we talk about with military exploits, is being transferred or translated to the home. That heroic work happens in the home. That the home is the place where the battle for God's kingdom begins. It's, it's, it's lifting up the home to heroic levels, so to speak. Now, why is this important? If you Google heroic stories, you'll find a lot of things pop up. You'll find uh, a firefighter, the, the, the story of the firefighter that ran into the World Trade Centers in 9-11 back in 01 to save lives. You'll read the story of Captain Sully, right? That US Airlines pilot who miraculously landed a a full jet plane on the Hudson River and save lives. You'll also read about CNN. They, they are, CNN tries to combat the view that heroes are these you know, six o'clock news people. And they did a segment on everyday heroes. Uh, heroes who, everyday people, helping disabled veterans, granting wishes for foster kids, 
giving away, or giving kids away off deadly streets, helping sick kids get to chemo. And you read all this and go, yes, these are heroic stories, right? These are people that, that work for the greater good of others, but you will be hard pressed to find a heroic story about a husband and wife who faithfully love each other and faithfully teach their children the gospel to prepare them to be a witness for Jesus in a broken world. You'd be hard pressed to find a heroic story about that. And yet Proverbs 31 says, that is a heroic story. And it describes that heroic story of the home being elevated uh, to, to a, an importance that is much greater than just mundane work of being married and raising children, right? It's heroic. And it corrects some, I think, insufficient views of the home. Let me give you a few. I think one insufficient view of the home is that the home uh, is a rest area. And, you know, when you're driving down the interstate, every so often there's a rest area, right? The real movement and the production and the work happens on the interstate. And every so often you get to the rest area just to rest, catch your breath and jump right back on. Sometimes the home is viewed that way. What's that look like? You may view your vocation and your job as the heroic work. And when you get home, you collapse. You collapse and rest to just get ready to go back and do the heroic work again the next day. Or maybe you view your children off at school that the heroic work happens in school, which I know we have teachers here and there is heroic work in teaching in the school. But you view the school as the real training ground, right? And that's where the, the work happens. Your kids get home and it's just rest time for them to go back out to where the real heroic work happens in the school. Right? The home is not just a rest area. Or maybe you view, uh, or the home is viewed as a cafeteria. <laughs> Three meals a day, breakfast, lunch, dinner, prepping, cleaning, cooking, cleaning up, prepping, cooking, cleaning up, over and over. Or maybe the view of the home is uh, insufficient view is that it's a hotel. Housekeeping comes around several times a day, cleans up laundry, toys, tidies up, does laundry, washes, now, all of that happens in the home. Meals, got to eat. Laundry, uh, rest, physical rest, all that happens in the home. But there's a much greater purpose that all of those serve, that God has intended for the home to be. And that is that the home is a gospel training center. It's the place where the, the family members, husbands, wives, children, right? Or, or if it's a single parent, a wife and children, or a husband and children, right? It's the place where the gospel is poured out so that our children and, and, our, and adults are raised up to go out on mission to serve this broken world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now that is a high calling, and that's the calling that Proverbs 31 is raising up, this heroic view of the home. Now, if this is the case, then what is the foundation of the home? You'll know in this chapter that there are two primary relational contexts or primary relationships that are the foundation of the home. And it's a marriage of trust and children of honor. Now let's start with the marriage of trust. Look at verse 11. The heart of her husband trusts in her and he will have no lack of gain. Now, this is a remarkable statement, right? Scripture over and over condemns trusting in anyone but the Lord. And ultimately, that's true, that your ultimate trust only needs to be put in Christ and not any person, right? But, but verse, verse 11 here is not contradicting that. 
Because verse 30 says, this is a woman who fears the Lord. Her ultimate trust is in the Lord. What it does say is that this husband and wife enjoys an incredibly dynamic spiritual relationship. That there is a oneness in Christ and a oneness with each other in this marriage. That they are one and that there's a vibrancy. And what we learn from this is that trust is ultimately rooted in God. And that trust in a marriage ultimately is rooted in oneness with Christ. Why is that the case? Because if you're in Christ, what that means is that you have trusted that Jesus Christ alone has saved you. Your goodness, your effort, your work has, has contributed nothing to your salvation. That Jesus alone saves and that he gives you his righteousness as a gift. His perfect life, his perfect righteousness, he, he, he counts or credits to you. It's yours as a gift. And when you believe that, then suddenly you don't have to hide. You don't have to perform. Suddenly, when I am trusting in Christ's righteousness, I can now open up my life. I can, I can lay out my flaws, my brokenness, my sin before people, and I can lay it out before my spouse. Because the one thing that will destroy trust in a marriage is hiding and performing. When you as a couple are, are hiding or performing, it erodes trust. But when your trust is in the righteousness of Christ, you can lay it out before each other both trust in Christ and find a tremendous amount of transparency that leads to trust. Transparency is built on trust. Trust is built on oneness with Christ. And so we see here a husband and wife who have oneness. Let me say it another way. If you're married, you have two marriages you're concerned about. Your horizontal marriage to your spouse and your vertical marriage to Christ. Revelation 19.7 for the marriage of the lamb has come and his bride has made herself ready. This describes that, that we are the bride of Christ and that Jesus is forging this alliance, forging this partnership with his bride and longs for his bride to capture his vision for the world, to bring mercy and grace and healing to the world. Right? And so at the, at the foundation of this chapter is a, a marriage that's between Jesus Christ and his bride. And this is so incredibly important. Let me tell you why, especially women. When you get done reading verses 13 to 27, you should be discouraged, depressed, and burdened because this describes superwoman. You read this and it is overwhelming. And if you don't, if you lose sight of the fact that no, 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 this is activity that is being described in partnership with the bridegroom, Jesus Christ, that he's doing the work in and through you and with you. And it takes away some of that burden that you're doing this in partnership with Jesus Christ. All of this activity we see in Proverbs 31 flows out of what's called in verse 30, fear of the Lord or honor and reverence for the Lord. Partnership with Jesus Christ. We're the bride, he's the bridegroom. And here's the important part of that. We don't partner with Jesus. Or we partner with Jesus, Jesus doesn't partner with us. Right? It, Jesus doesn't partner with us, meaning that we're, we're running the show and he kind of comes along and helps. No, no, we partner with Jesus. He's the capital and missionary. He's the one that's doing all this work and he's doing it in and through us and with us. And so you have to have that as the foundation when you read a chapter like this that can be very discouraging and depressing. 
when you see that you're not doing all this, right? So let's talk about what kind of activity characterizes a marriage of trust. Now, let me start with husbands. Okay, husbands, how do you partner with Jesus to build your wife up and create a flourishing home? Look at verses 28 and 29. It says, her husband also praises her. Many women have done excellently, but you surpass them all. He, he praises his wife. He respects his wife. He cherishes his wife. He's proud of his wife. Uh, he respects her opinion. Her thoughts matter. What she, um, her work matters. Uh, she becomes the one that he turns to for wise counsel. She tr or he trusts in her. She becomes his wisest uh, advisor. Now, here's why this is important. If you are a woman who, who does not work outside the home, meaning you work inside the home, okay? You can fall into a rhythm or a, a trap where you really don't believe you have much to offer the world. And here's the reason. If you, if you work outside the home, okay, there's something that happens once a year in your company or your job, maybe twice a year, sometimes even four times a year. And it's called a performance review. And hopefully in a performance review, you get some encouragement, right? At least I hope some. Also probably how you need to do things differently, but some encouragement around, here's what you're doing really well from your boss. Keep doing that. We're so grateful for that. If you work inside the home, you don't get a performance review. In fact, you probably feel like you never get a pat on the back, that you rarely get acknowledged for how you're pouring yourself out. And so husbands, whether your, spouse, your wife works outside the home or inside the home or both, you praise her, you build her up, you encourage her, you tell her in detail what you appreciate so that, and here's the purpose, so that she can blossom and flourish in her giftedness before God that all the gifts that God has given her through your praise and encouragement, which ultimately is Jesus' partnership, your partnership with Jesus speaking into your wife so that she can come alive in her giftedness. Now, wives, in the, in the light of that kind of environment, how do you respond? How do you respond? Now, we're gonna look at this. Let me just remind you, I'm gonna say it again. Verses 13 to 27, okay, it, if you forget that this is in partnership with Jesus Christ, the bridegroom, if you forget that, you're gonna get discouraged and depressed after reading this, okay? Second, when we look at verses 13 to 27, it's not a prescription of what every woman should be, okay? Not every woman is called to be a great cook, verse 15, or a real estate investor, verse 16, or an entrepreneur, businesswoman, verse 18, a maker and designer of clothes and bed coverings, verse 19 and 22, and a master homemaker, verse 27. No, it, this is describing a woman in partnership with her husband and with her ultimate bridegroom, Jesus Christ, who is coming alive to how the Lord has gifted her. 
So important that you see that, that this woman is coming alive. Now, what I, what I do want you to see, and this is a theme, is that there's a description here of a woman who does sacrifice for her husband, her children, and her community. Look at verse 12. It says, she does him good and not harm all the days of her life. Verse 15, she rises while it is yet night and provides food for her household. Verse 20, she opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. Verse 27, she looks well to the ways of her household and does not eat the bread of idleness. And in the midst of all of this sacrifice, she's teaching. Verse 26, she opens her mouth with wisdom and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. Now, I would imagine that this is probably a little more descriptive of what maybe you experience. Up early in the morning, before the kids are up, making sure there's breakfast, making sure that backpacks are packed and school lunches are ready, uh, going down late after they go to bed, tidying everything up, doing the, the stuff that needs to be done administratively for the home, um, feeling like you're being pulled on in every possible direction by every possible person. Everybody wants something from you. And all of this leaves you exhausted, in a constant state of exhaustion, just tired, worn out, maybe ready to give up. And then on top of that, you probably feel guilty that you're not doing enough. I, does that describe anybody? Now, here's the difference. This woman in Proverbs 31, at least from what we read, is not exhausted is not ready to quit, is not feeling guilty and tired and worn out. Why? It's not because she's superwoman. The answer is verse 25. Look at it. It says, strength and dignity are her clothing and she laughs at the time to come. What does that mean? Well, I told you this proverb is full of uh, military imagery. And this is one of those cases. She laughs at the time of come. She laughs at the future or she laughs like a victorious warrior or victorious king would laugh after a victory. You say, well, what does that mean? Well, remember, this is describing ultimately a vertical marriage, a partnership with Jesus Christ who's the bridegroom. This is a woman partnered with Jesus Christ who laughs because she has victory in Christ. That Jesus Christ has died, has raised from the dead, defeated death. He's victorious. He's won the victory. And so she, in partnership with him, laughs at the future because she knows that Jesus Christ, as the perfect bridegroom, as the one who's victorious, who has won the victory and defeated death, she knows that her future and her husband's future and her children's future is securely in his grasp as the victorious warrior. So instead of anxiety and worry, there's laughter. And you know well that the one thing that will cause exhaustion more than anything else is overwhelming anxiety, overwhelming worry. It causes just exhaustion of the soul, exhaustion of the body, stress of the body. And so that's why reading this through a gospel lens the marriage we enjoy with Jesus allows you 
to laugh at the future no matter what chaos you find yourself in. No matter what situation you find your children in, you can laugh because in partnership with Jesus Christ, you share his victory. He is victorious. And the chaos of the world is not up for grabs. Jesus is in complete control and has complete victory. And so you laugh at the future. So a foundation of trust, the foundation of a home is, is, is built on a marriage of trust. Second, it's built on a children of honor. Look at verse 28. Look at verse 28. Her children rise up and call her blessed. The phrase rise up, that indicates, think of a courtroom, right? Rise, all rise, the, the honorable so-and-so is presiding, right? It's a term that means respect. These children rise up and respect and honor their parents. It's the fifth commandment, honor your father, honor your mother. What I want you to see here though is these children are responding in an environment that we've just described. An environment where mom and dad have this deep spiritual oneness and trust of Jesus Christ. And they talk about it and their children watch them interact and watch them pray together and watch them lead each other and encourage each other in Christ. The children are watching this and the children watch dad praise mom. And the children watch dad get the children involved in praising mom in creative ways, right? And the children watch mom pouring her life out, getting up early, going to bed late, just constantly laying her life down. The children see this and their response is to rise up and respect and honor mom and dad. And so, so the foundation of a home is built on a marriage of trust, horizontal and vertical with Jesus and children of honor. So how do you steward your home? We've looked at the importance of the home, the foundation of the home. Now let's look at the mission of the home. This last point is incredibly important because marriage and family can become the end. By that, I mean that there can be such a focus on marriage and family as the end that we forget the very purpose of marriage and family. Another way to say it is that, that you can make an idol out of marriage or you can make an idol out of family. An idol is simply someone or something that you trust to bring the deep satisfaction in your heart that only Jesus Christ can bring. So you can look to your marriage to provide satisfaction that only Jesus can bring. You can look to your family and your children and maybe their success or their good behavior, whatever it is, to provide satisfaction that only Jesus Christ can bring. If we forget this last point, marriage and family can turn in on itself. And suddenly a family can become just inward focused and cloistered from the outside world. And yet this proverb paints a very, very different picture. Look at verse 20. It says, she opens her hand, speaking of the, the woman, the wife. She opens her hand to the poor and reaches out her hands to the needy. This is a woman who has a heart for the poor. She has a heart for uh, the, the needs around her, right? She sees need in her neighborhood, in her, her community, and she sees it and she responds. Then look at verse uh, 23. Her husband is known in the gates when he sits among the elders of the land. And in the gate, that, that describes or symbolizes the, the city's collective power and authority. When he sits, 
describes him giving counsel into something. And so what we have here is a picture of a man who's uh, in some sort of position of power or authority in the city council, right? Who is, is, is leading his community, protecting his community and, and, and leading his community to be a, a witness to the outside world. In other words, this, this marriage that we see described here exists for the good of the community, the good of the world around them. Right? Now, now, what's the takeaway here? The question would be, do you have a vision for your family around this? Do you have a vision for your family uh, serving the world and serving the community around you for the purposes of the gospel of Jesus Christ? I love this past summer in Backyard Bible Clubs. Amber put this together and I think it was beautiful. The, uh, the kids every day, they, they made a craft for themselves, but they also made a craft for a friend. Uh, and so my kids came home uh, when we hosted one at our house. They walked inside and had, uh, they had crafts and they had several crafts that were, were ready to be given to neighborhood kids who didn't show up at Backyard Bible Clubs who needed to hear the good news of Jesus. And they were able to go deliver those. That's just an example, I think, of what it means to cultivate a home that's on mission for Jesus to cultivate a home where you're thinking about the outside world and, and how you can be a witness for Christ. It's, in, it's inviting your children into partnership with you. It's having conversations with your children about how are we gonna reach our neighbors? Let's think through that. Let's pray through that. Let your kids come up with probably some brilliant ideas of how to do that in, in partnership with Jesus Christ. So how would I sum up this sermon in a couple sentences? I would say it this way. Don't let your home be an afterthought. Don't let your home be an afterthought because Jesus doesn't see it as an afterthought. Jesus sees it as, as one of the primary ways that he brings his kingdom to bear on this world. And he does all that has to be done through his death and resurrection to call you to himself so that in partnership with him, the great marriage, he, the capital M missionary, can bring you forth, you and your family, to bring the gospel to bear on your community. Don't let your home be an afterthought. With Jesus, in partnership with Jesus, make it that, that gospel training ground, that primary place where God is doing his work to raise up the next generation. Interesting, when you read about Abraham in the Old Testament, remember God's promise to Abraham? The promise is that Abraham was gonna be a blessing to the nations, a blessing to the world. Talk about vision, that's huge. What was the first thing that Abraham was called to do? Abraham, be a blessing to your children. <laughs> Teach your children about Yahweh, about this God that's amazing, that's gonna reach the world. And in partnership, when, you, when you're seeking the blessing of your children and, and teaching the gospel to them, it's gonna translate to generation after generation, a blessing to the world. Let's pray.
Father, thank you for calling us to yourself. Thank you for sending your son Jesus to die for us, to raise for us, to ascend for us, to be at the right hand of the Father. And thank you, Father, that in Ephesians, you tell us that in Christ, not by what we've done, but simply by faith in Christ, that we're seated in the heavenly realms, that we're seated with you in victory, and that you call us to partner with you to reach your world. And I pray that you would make our homes the primary place for, for training and for care and for shepherding. Father, I pray for marriages in this room that you would, for marriages that don't feel a spiritual oneness, that don't feel a dynamic spiritual relationship, that you by your spirit would begin doing that work of drawing husbands and wives together. Drawing husbands and wives together into, into spiritual unity that together they would walk with Jesus. And I pray, Father, that is, that, that is a foundation that the children would see that see the gospel modeled out by mom and dad who repent when they do wrong. And that children would grow up knowing you, Jesus, and that, and that family units would be on mission in this city. Father, as we come to the, the Lord's Supper now, we ask that you would take this meal that Jesus, you gave us in your kindness to be an appetizer of the marriage supper of the Lamb one day, and that this meal would strengthen us, encourage us in our partnership with you, Jesus, as the bridegroom. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.